Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. things. Why not? Because she doesn't look at me like everybody else, and I don't want her to. I don't want her to know. Know what? I see dead people walking around like regular people. I don't see anything. Are you sure they're there? Sometimes you feel it inside, like you're falling down real fast. You ever feel the prickly things on the back of your neck? Yes. That's them. They get mad. It gets cold. things for them. I think that they know that you're one of these very rare people who can see them. So you need to help them. What if they don't want to help? I don't think that's the way it works. How do you know for sure? Is anyone there? Welcome to the Tragedy of Cinema, Episode 6. We will be discussing the sixth sense today for Episode 6. How are you doing today, Terrence? I'm doing great. I can't wait to do this. It's yeah. This is another movie that I've really highly enjoyed watching. I'm your host, uh, Jimbo, and as my partner in crime over there is Terrence. The co-host, Terrence. The co-host, Terrence. So, Terrence, um, as you could hear by the trailer we played right before this, this is about a movie about a little boy that sees dead people. 
I so, see dead people. So not to be outdone, my question for you this week is... Forgot about the question. You forgot about the questions. <laughs> my question for you is, if you could have a two-hour supper with three dead actors or actresses for two hours, who would you pick? Okay. Uh, three. Well, first and foremost, I'm going to go with Carrie Fisher. Robin Williams. And I got to pick a third. But those two definitely. Uh, let's go with... I know it's on the spot. Yeah, yeah I know. It's <laughs> that, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, who would go well with those two. Um... All right, I'll go ahead and give you my three. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm thinking, I was like, uh, number one is probably going to be Vincent Price. Okay. Number two is probably Jimmy Stewart, or James Stewart, yeah. as they called him. And number three, probably Gene Wilder or John Candy. It's a toss-up between those two. That You know what? I'm a, I'm a, John Candy's going to be my third. Okay. So right. Carrie Fisher, Robin Williams, and John Candy. Uh, I was going to say, because <laughs> you got a little bit of comedy, a little bit of action. A little, yeah. You know, and the stories you could tell just from Robin Williams alone, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Amazing. So this week we are talking about The Sixth Sense. So Terrence, if you want to go ahead and let's just jump right into it. Yep. So uh, as per usual, uh, we're going to go over you know some of the logistics of it, uh, known facts and stuff like that. Then we're going to jump into awards, then jump into our lesser known trivia facts, and then finally close out with our opinion and other. So um, without further ado, I'm going to jump right in. So The Sixth Sense. Release date was August 6th, 1999. Budget was $40 million. Uh, today's standards, that is $61 million. Uh, opening weekend, it made $26, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, $26 uh, By today's standards, that's $40 million. So it, it did not do well opening weekend, it looks like. Uh, twenty six million still twenty six million and ninety nine. You know, uh, yeah, of course, that's still pretty good compared to, to, to some of the openings that we've seen. On that's this. true, uh, but typically they, I, some of the ones we've seen before broke even on the opening right. weekend. Uh, so then you know they're netting their money back. Um, now in gross, obviously they did make their money back. So gross in the USA two hundred ninety three million. Uh, in today's standards, that's you're looking at four hundred and forty seven million dollars it made. And here is where it gets interesting. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross, it made $672 million. That is about $1 billion yeah, today. I mean, it, it was a bigger hit overseas. So it killed it overseas. <laughs> overseas, yes. Uh, it's runtime. You're looking at about an hour 47. Uh, that's 107 minutes. So just a little uh, past your average runtime. This is when we start seeing like longer movies. Uh become more frequent uh i'd but, say like late 19 not you know 1990s you start seeing a you know a couple pop out in the early 2000s you start to see a lot long you know but when you watch movies. this movie it does not seem that long at all oh not the, at all the, the, the story is so engrossing it's just it's so good storytelling absolutely it's 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 really good uh so sound mix, we're looking at DTS, Digital Dolby, uh, SDDS. So that, you know, we'll start seeing that a lot uh, in around this time frame and era. Uh, color, we're looking at Technicolor. Uh, aspect ratio, 1.85 by 1. Its camera was a Panavision Panaflex Millennium. Uh, th- those were known for being lightweight, quiet, very easy to bust out, put it on set, and you know, do what you need to do. Uh, Panavision Prima lenses, lenses uh, which we discussed in our 
um, I believe we discussed that in uh, day after tomorrow. Uh, we were using Panavision. They were using Panavision Prima lenses in that too. Uh, so the laboratory, uh, we're looking at Technicolor Hollywood, California, uh, USA prints. Uh, and this was done, this was the studio uh, that backed this movie was Spyglass Entertainment. Uh, its film length was 2,927 uh, meters, and that's Sweden. Negative format is 35 millimeters, uh, Eastman. Cinematography. Uh, Cinemographic process was spherical. Printed film format, 35mm Eastman. So, you know, your average 35mm, that we'll see a lot. Um, and this movie was rated PG-13. Now, we're going to jump into the awards. And I want to preface this by saying it had a lot of <laughs> awards, particularly over uh, internationally. Right. Let's just say that when we printed our notes out, we had 14 pages of notes, and probably eight of them were awards that they had won. So we're not going to get into all of them because there were so many. Right. Uh, and a good chunk of them were international awards. But, you know, as usual, we're, we're going to go uh, over the uh, some of the well-known ones. Right. Starting off with the Academy Awards in, the two, in 2000. So it was a nominee for... Best Picture, uh, and then it was another nomination for Best Actor and Supporting Role. So that's for ha- uh, Haley Joel Om- uh, you- Osment. Osment, there we go. <laughs> uh, Best Actress uh, in Supporting Role, uh, Tony Collette. Best Director, M. Night Shyamalan. Best Writing Screenplay direct- d- Directly for the Screen, M. Night Shyamalan. And Best Film Editing. Andrew Modenshin. I'm just going to keep going. I butchered that name and I already know it. <laughs> we apologize to that so, guy. Lots of, lots of nominations. Uh, no wins, but I mean, having that many nominations alone speaks to how good the movie is. Right. Um, uh, then we'll move on to Golden Globes in the 2000s. So another nomination for Best Picture by Actor in a Supporting Role in Motion Picture. So Haley Joel Omset. Osmet. Uh, Osmet. <laughs> uh, best screenplay motion picture, M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, then we have the BAFTA Awards in the 2000s. And BAFTA stands for British Academy of Film and Television Arts. And so here we have the no- more nominations. So best film, uh, best screenplay original, M. Night Shyamalan. Best editing, Andrew Modenshin. Oh, you're getting closer. <laughs> Mountain Sheen. Oh, man. We anyway. apologize to you a second time, sir. <laughs> uh, and then nominated for um, David Lean Award for Direction in Night Shyamalan. Then we have Screen Actors Guild Awards of 2000, another nomination for Outstanding Performance by Male Actor in a Supporting Role, Haley Joe Um. Osmet. He's butchering me today, man. All right. uh, We have our Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Film Awards in 2000. We got uh, a winner for this one. This was the best horror film uh, out of this particular award set, and that's Best Performance. And then they also won Best Performance by Young Actor, Actress. uh, Once again, Haley again. Uh, nominated, and then they got nominated for uh, best actor Bruce Willis and best writer M Night Shyamalan. Then 
We will jump into 2003, where we have the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, they won winner for DVD Design Award, uh, and that's tied with Captain Conan. Uh, that was, that movie came out in 1996. So uh, I, I suppose a couple years later, when all the DVDs were out, they were giving awards out. Uh, I'm actually curious into one like DVD award, as in sort of like the menu uh, design and how everything panned well, out. Well, we'll we'll talk about it a little later in the unknown okay. facts. But if you leave um, a certain one of the certain DVDs, if you leave it on the screen too long, a ghost will like a, no- a noise will play, and a ghost will walk by the breakfast table. Oh, so yeah, okay. if you just leave it on, you know, the main there, menu. There was a couple uh, DVDs that would do that if you left it too long. They'd do yeah. something cool or <laughs> special. I always like that. Uh, then we have MTV Movie and TV Awards in 2000s. Uh, it won the winner. They were the winner of the MTV Movie Award, uh, Breakthrough Male Performance from Haley. And they were nominated for Best Movie. Best Male Performance, Bruce Willis, and Best On-Screen Duo, Bruce and Haley. Then we're moving on to People's (laughs) Choice Awards. So many awards. Interestingly enough, uh, I I don't know how popular it is or or it's it's sort of longevity, but, you know, People's Choice Awards, I know, was a a big enough thing to know about, and I think this is our first time seeing People's Choice Awards. That I can remember seeing. Yeah, so that's interesting that we haven't seen it until now. Uh, This one, it did uh, win two awards, one for Favorite Dramatic Motion Picture and another one for Favorite Motion Picture. And then we will jump into our last one, which is Teen Choice Awards in the 2000. Uh, and it won for Best Film Choice Drama, Best Film for Choice Breakout Performance, and that's from Haley again. And then it was nominated for uh, Film Choice Sleazebag from uh, Trevor Morgan. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Sleazebag Award. I kind of like it. That's pretty funny. <laughs> And so, without further ado, going to jump into the synopsis for the movie and then jump into the facts. Sounds good. All right. So, The Sixth Sense. After a devastating home invasion from a former patient, award-winner psychologist Malcolm Crow helps a special young boy named Crow, or Cole, who has the ability to see dead people. Can Malcolm return to his former self, or will Cole's case be too much for him to handle? Dun-dun-dun. And let's go ahead and jump into the cast. This had a lot of famous people in it. Um, some some I didn't even recognize or realize that they were in the movie till after I seen it again. Yeah. Or when I started researching. So obviously the main role is Bruce Willis, who played Malcolm Crowe. Haley Joe Osment was Cole Sear. Tony Collette played Lynn Sear, who was Cole's mom. Olivia Williams played Anna Crowe, which was Malcolm's wife. Trevor Morgan played Tommy Tamimissimo. And Donnie Wahlberg, New Kids on the Block <laughs> fame, played uh, had an appearance as Vincent Gray. Huh. So that was very interesting when I found that out. I think it's just interesting overall when you look at older films, like actors that were not so well known then that you know now, and you're like, oh, they were in here. Yeah, or you just see somebody in a movie, you know, let's say like let's say the New Avengers, and you see like Mark Ruffalo or something. You see him in a movie ten years ago or whatever. And you're oh like, yeah, oh, wait, that's the Hulk. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, you ready for some unknown facts or trivia? Let's jump into it. All right, this is some pretty exciting stuff, I must say. Here's, it has been said that Haley Joel Osment won the audition 
for the following three reasons. Number one, he was the best fit. Number two, he was the only boy who wore a tie to the audition. Oh, wow. And number three, get this one. M. Night Shyamalan asked him if he read his part. He replied, I read it three times last night. Wow, you read your part three times last night, Shyamalan said? No, I read the entire script three times. Ooh, wow. That's... So that really impressed the director. You know, I mean, M. that Night is impressive it, coming from a young I think it was nine-year-old, yeah. nine, nine to 11, somewhere in there. But reading it three times, that's amazing. And he killed that role. It was perfect. <sighs> so yeah, he was, he, yeah he, was, he was perfect for that role. All right, before we get too much further into this, I need to go ahead. So if you have not seen this movie, I need you to pause it, go watch this movie, because I'm about ready to release the spoiler of the spoilers of this movie, The Twist. And this is another movie, just like uh, when we discussed Psycho, that uh, not if you don't know about the spoiler, uh, it really impacts sort of your first viewing of it if you haven't seen right. it. So the first viewing is so crazy at the end you're just like I was mind yeah, blown. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. It's it's one of those But then when you watch it a second time you're like, oh that's you know what I mean. Then you start picking up so, smaller things, yeah. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Bruce Willis is receiving an award for a child psychologist. Um, he had just been named like child psychologist of the year or whatever. And uh, that night, him and his wife go upstairs, and there's a home invasion with uh, Donnie Wahlberg. Vincent Gray's up there, and it's his former, uh, one of his former children that he helped when he was uh, younger. And he's like, "You can't help me." Blah blah. Well, he ends up shooting Bruce Willis in the stomach, and then he shoots himself in the head. Yeah. Well, next thing you see is like the fall of the next year. It says yep. a year later or whatever. So you see Bruce Willis sitting there, and he's got his book out, and he's trying to take notes and all this and he sees Cole Haley Joel Osment walk in and he follows him and whatever so basically Haley Joel Osment has this problem where he's scared uh, because he sees dead people he, he, he never really tells you that till towards the end of the movie but Bruce Willis is working with him since he was a psychologist trying to get what's wrong with you how can I help you how can I help you if you won't tell me what's going on yeah basically when he says I see dead people they don't know that they're dead Basically, Bruce Willis died when he got shot at the beginning of the movie, and you have no idea until the end of the movie that he is actually dead the entire time. Exactly. And Haley Joel interacts with him throughout the whole movie, and you never suspect a thing. Exactly. You think he's just, uh, you know, patient psychologist. I, it was so good, just the way they shot the scenes, because, and, and we'll get more of this in the facts, but. He never interacts with anything like the chair when, yep. he's, with his, when he's at his wife at his anniversary dinner. She had already pulled it out or somebody had already pulled it out. He just sits yep. down. He doesn't touch the chair. The only time you see him touch things is the tape recorder when he's going back to listen to Vincent Gray. Um, the door handle when he jiggles it. Yep. You know what I mean? And there's one more thing that he does. I, uh, I can't remember what it is. I, it's in the notes. We'll get to it. But it was just the way they shot the scenes. You would never know. Exactly. Like especially when the like the first scene you see him sitting in the chair or whatever with Cole's mom, you and Haley walks or Cole walks in and you're like, Oh, she must have got him help by this psychologist and the way the conversation she talks to Cole, Bruce Willis doesn't say anything, but she just carries on a conversation, Well, you got an hour before supper, blah blah well, you're thinking that they have already talked and she has already agreed to Yep, exactly you know, for all for that to, to happen. Yeah. yeah, why would there be a stranger in her house, right? Such a good movie. So let's continue on. Tony Collette was so emotionally attached to this movie, she didn't realize it was a horror movie till after its release. Her scene for the audition was the scene in the car towards the end of the film where there was the wreck. 
Oh, okay. So she was so emotionally attached that she didn't know it was a horror movie. Wow. Yeah. That's that's actually really interesting. <laughs> I See Dead People was ranked 100 of the 100 greatest movie lines by Premier Magazine in 2007. Also, it was ranked number 44 by AFI out of 100. I'm not surprised there. Donnie Wahlberg lost 43 pounds for his role in the movie as Vincent Gray. Wow. He he looked really skinny. He looked yeah. really bad. That, I mean that there's there's a uh, there's a good chunk, you know, a handful of actors that have done that and um that's always such a, a strenuous process and and that's either which way uh you know, losing a bunch of weight for a role that really drops you, you know, to almost an unhealthy, right. you know, look. Or same same way as when people put on a lot of weight for a role. Exactly, when people put on a lot of weight for a role, uh, it, it's interesting. It also, you know, uh, strenuous and, and dangerous in a way too. Right? I think I would rather be where you could eat anything you want because you're trying to gain weight instead of <laughs> no, here eat this piece of lettuce. You know, yeah, that's right. what you get for the day. This movie, like The Breakfast Club, was filmed in sequence. In sequence. Okay. Like we said, huh. not too many movies do that anymore. Sometimes they just, if they have a bunch of... Well, that's just in general. Well, I'm um, just saying, if they have a bunch of scenes that they're filming at an outside location, they're not going to pack up and come back at a later day. They're just going to film, like, the beginning, middle, end, whatever they got to film yeah, in that scene. exactly. The director wrote the role of Malcolm Crowe with Bruce Willis in mind. If Bruce Willis didn't get this part, who do you think would have replaced him and done a good job? I have no idea. I can see Denzel Washington pulling it off. Okay, yeah. yeah I, I think. can see that. Um, but that's also just because I'm a huge fan of Denzel Washington. Well, it's true. That's because he's such a good actor. <laughs> Absolutely. So, But, I mean, I, I was trying to think of who would I would like to... I know Jim Carrey is a no. You know, nobody oh, yeah. funny would be a no. Uh, Harrison Ford, maybe, if he was younger. Maybe. That's a maybe. Um, so, you guys let us know who you think would be a good role for him. But it was perfectly for perfect for Bruce Willis. It's always nice when uh, the director has a vision of who they want in a role, and then yeah. that person picks it up. Especially when they pick it up. If they don't pick it up, I don't know what happens. Exactly. All right, this was a very interesting fact. The movie was rented by 80 million people in the year 2000, making it the most rented VHS slash DVD for the year. Wow. 80 million people. For those who are too young to know, there used to be stores where you can rent movies physically. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Local Blockbuster. I don't even think it even has a chain anymore. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hollywood Video. Hollywood Video, stuff. Blockbuster. Uh, I think Family Video is starting to go down now, too. Yeah. You know I mean? I, as a matter of fact, uh, when we were driving around yesterday, we saw a sign that said a closeout sale. So I think they're they're closing out of here. Sad. Well, you know, with all the digital stuff you can get now, you don't even have to leave your house. That's very true. In Entertainment Weekly in 1999, The Sixth Sense was not even mentioned in the 134 movies for the summer preview. Wow. Needless to say, it became a huge sleeper hit. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, can you imagine not even being mentioned and then be like probably the best movie of that summer? Which which is really interesting. It, it, it felt like uh, it coming out of nowhere, maybe even being labeled as a horror movie, people tend to stay away from it uh but interestingly enough uh even though it's labeled a horror movie it doesn't feel like I would, one i would say it's more of a psychological thriller yeah if, if i had to label psychological it. thriller drama right. uh sort of movie Shyamalan gave a tribute to his family a lot of his family members are doctors that is why he cameos as one in this film okay that's cool yeah 
And I think he's kind of like Alfred Hitchcock. I think he plays a small role in all, all of his movies, if I remember correctly. Okay. Like um, the, I think he's I in think the village. So, yeah. And, yeah. On the Vista series DVD, as we mentioned earlier, if you leave the main title page idle enough, a ghost will walk by the breakfast table. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. And here's something else. Cole, Vincent, and um, both have a patch of white, grayish hair. Cole's is right behind his ear, and Vince's is to his side. Huh. So both of the uh, people that came to see Malcolm yeah. had the little little patch patches of hair, hair. You know, that were gray. That's interesting. Right. Early scripts of the movie had Malcolm Crowe as a crime scene photographer instead of a child psychologist. I'm glad they changed that because it would it would be a lot harder to pull off some of those scenes, particularly like when he has to come when he's in the house with the with the mother and right, it, right. Like, why would he be in the house? You exactly. Know I mean? Why would it'd it be a totally different movie? Scene, I think. Exactly. I'm glad it was just a draft, though, so it wasn't. This was one of the two movies that Bruce Willis owed Disney after having one shut down for getting the director fired. That's hilarious. I think the other one was the kid. Uh, the kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh, interesting when you find out stuff like that. Like the only reason why they're in this movie is because they got somebody else fired and they owed it. And I think they said <laughs> that when he got the director fired, he still got ten million dollars of his salary. Oh wow! I was like, well, okay, more boo hoo, <laughs> right? Um, in two thousand seven, this was ranked as number eighty nine of the greatest films of all time, as one of the newest entries. Oh wow! So tells you how good of a movie it was. Definitely. The director pitched the idea as a cross between The Exorcist and Ordinary People. Hmm. So I guess it's pitch that, that, that was Yeah. I mean, the, the pitch is super important when you take it to, you know, whoever you're trying to get to produce your movie. Well, uh, speak, it, hang on, hold that thought. Oh, okay, yeah. Producer Barry Mendel sold the screenplay on the first day it was put up for sale. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So he was either a great <laughs> salesman or it was just really that good of a script. It, well, it's, it's definitely great because... When you sell a script, uh, you don't actually, you know, go through the whole script. You basically have your pitch. Uh, so it's very like, hey, here's a quick rundown of what this movie is. And then they'll go, yay or nay. And then they look at the script if they go, yay. Be like, you know what? I like the way this sounds. Let me go through the script. That's the next step. And then from then they'll be like, yes, this is it. Let's do it. <laughs> the film opened on Shyamalan's birthday. Oh, wow. That's That's, that's awesome. pretty interesting. And I think he was only 29 when he, this came out, Shyamalan. And definitely one of his better movies. Or you can probably, probably even the say best, the best probably. movie. Yeah. Right. Because after this, I like The Village. But after that, it started going down fast. I mean, yeah. <laughs> The Lady in the Water or whatever that was. What was that? Then the we, Mermaid yeah. or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, he quickly became sort of, uh, oh, you know, it's a M. Night Shyamalan twist. Yeah, and <laughs> the, the signs. I think yeah. it was signs before this? Si- signs was... I'm not sure. I, I think it might I like that movie. The use of red during the scenes signifies the presence of a ghost or the presence of evil. The director uses this in a lot of his other films, The Village being a great example. Uses of red during this movie. And this is just some that I wrote down. There is a lot more. Um, the doorknob to the cellar study area is red. When Cole is walking with Malcolm, a group of baseball players come walking by in blue uniforms, but all of their hats are red. Hmm. So this is signifying that, hey, Malcolm's a ghost, you know, and you don't yeah. even realize it. Uh, Malcolm's uh, wife was wearing red at their anniversary dinner. Cole was wearing a red sweater at the birthday party. Also, the red balloons that got released up to the ceiling that he went to go chase were yeah, red. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. The church to the door is red. Cole takes a red figurine from inside the church. The tent in Cole's room is red. 
The pills Malcolm finds in the medicine cabinet while his wife is taking a shower are red. The lady Cole sees um, at the end of the movie that had the wreck has a red bicycle helmet on. The food poison scene um, that was on video, the girl's mother that poisoned her is wearing red at her wake. Also, hmm. I think the, in the video that they showed, I think she's tomato soup, you know, that red tomato yeah. soup. And okay, there's yeah. also some of the, the poison bottles, I think the caps were red. Um, I didn't really look at that. But there's so much more. I mean, you could watch the whole movie. And there's, a, there's a scene where her mom's looking at pictures on the wall. And I tried to, the ones I've seen, I've seen a little bit of red, you know, oh, in the okay, pictures yeah. too. But there's like a little uh, spot on there, you know what I mean? Like when yeah. somebody snapped the picture, they say it's an orb or whatever. Yeah. But I've seen red in the pictures. I, I like uh, color symbolism in movies. It, it's, it's it's very subtle, but... But if you watch this movie, make sure you pay to the attention to color red. Oh, because yeah. Because you will pick up on so much. There's so much more I didn't even write down because I, oh, yeah. I could just keep going on and on and on. <laughs> The clothes that Malcolm is wearing during the whole film are just slight versions of what he was wearing the night he was killed or that he had touched, like his trench coat. Yeah. Um, you see him with his gray sweatshirt uh, sweatshirt on uh, when he's down in the basement, you know, yep. or cellar or whatever. His suit, tie or whatever yep. that he's always talking to Colin. So I thought that was if, – if people were paying attention, they would have picked up on this stuff. I obviously did the first time I oh, watched yeah, it. Oh, yeah, you never do. When Cole's mom is watching from the window as he leaves for school with Tommy, a prominent figure six can be seen on the curtain to the left of her hand. Huh. More, like more of those. Six, like, yeah, 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 just uh, little subtle things. Um, this is the only film for the uh, for this year that had a nomination for Best Supporting uh, Actor and Actress at the Oscars. As of 2018, this is Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette's only Oscar-nominated performances. Really? And Haley Joel Osment was in, uh, what was it, AI, that artificial yeah, intelligence. Yeah, I remember That's AI, right. Yeah. But I, I really don't know much that he's been else in. I didn't really I don't, I don't think you. I think he was uh, one was of those were. Um, not Well, that too, but not just typecasted, but uh, with a lot of younger child actors, uh, usually after a I know he was movies. in something else I'm forgetting off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, there's probably a handful of movies and then he drops off and I haven't really... Uh, seen him in anything recent? Not anything notable not that, you that would, comes. Not, yeah, not, not that, that I know of. There, there might be some smaller ones. This again is on the one thousand and one movies you must see before you die. Yeah. So I mean, I agree. Pretty much any movie we cover, there's a thousand and one of them. When Malcolm is listening to his old tapes, this is another reference to the red. Um, his old tapes of Vincent Gray. The numbers on the tape player go from white to red, giving another indication that he oh, is wow. a ghost. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, Anna tells Malcolm that he sounds like Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss gave his life to help children, too, even though he had never had any of his own. So yeah. the psychologist Malcolm was helping children, even though they never had any children, yeah. same as Dr. Seuss. That's awesome. Um, Cole is supposed to be nine. Osmond is actually 11 in this movie. Okay. Yeah, so, that's, that's no surprise. Here's an interesting thing about Donnie Wahlberg again. Donnie Wahlberg plays a character in this movie named Vincent Gray. In 1998, just one year prior, he played a character named Mr. Gray in the TV movie The Taking of Pelham 123, or 123. In the 2003 movie Dreamcatcher, he played a character named Duddits, who defeats and kills an alien antagonist named Mr. Gray. Wow, lots of uh, of gray. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first film to feature the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team and the Philadelphia Eagles new logos oh okay so when they changed their team logos that was the first film to show them yeah i don't know anything about sports but that's i know you cool don't that's why have, I, uh, some people get that though. <laughs> yeah exactly but now that's pretty cool how uh 
you know, especially in a movie this popular, how, hey, they have new logos and stuff like that. Right. It's a nice little breakout thing and, to do. In the scene where Cole says the famous line, I see dead people, the camera does a close-up on Bruce Willis's face. Producer Frank Marshall was worried that they might have given the game away at the ending. It is implied that Malcolm was a dead person. Fortunately, none of the audience in the test screening or, or afterwards picked up on it. I didn't either. I didn't either. So I didn't either. I was so enthralled with the movie. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I thought it was. You know, you when you watch it, you you just think it's sort of in a reaction to right, what like, the kids oh, saying and not wow. signifying. They just give you the <laughs> like, biggest blatant hit. <laughs> yeah, like, that like, they can. Hey, you're you're a dead person. You know. <laughs> He's like, they don't even know they're dead, and I was like, huh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Weird. When Cole and Malcolm are entering Kyra's bedroom at her wake, which is the little girl that was poisoned by her mom, Malcolm is standing directly behind Cole. However, when the camera cuts to the shadows on the floor as the door opens, we only see Cole's shadow. Another clue that Malcolm is actually dead. Also on the doorknob, we can see the reflection of Cole's face, but not Malcolm's face, although we probably can see his body. Hmm. Interesting. Throughout the movie... Malcolm never moves any objects except a Latin dictionary and uses the tape recorder, and he does not interact with anyone but Cole. For example, he never opens a door. The chair he sits in in the restaurant with his wife is already pulled out, and when he reaches for the check, his wife beats him to it. Yep. So, and then I think I wrote it down here later, but when she, he actually goes over to grab it, you hear a whoosh sound, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, if you would have listened to the soundtrack, the original soundtrack actually gave away the ending of the movie. The final song was Malcolm is Dead. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. You know what oh, I mean? man. Uh, during the anniversary restaurant, so you can hear a swoosh as Anna Hand grabs yeah. right check right before we just... Here we go. In 1995, 12 Monkeys, Bruce Willis's character, James Cole, says, All I see are dead people, which echoes the words by Haley Joel Osment's character, Cole Sears' statement, I see dead people in the sixth sense. Both movies are set in Philadelphia. That's pretty cool, sort of uh, not homage, if you will. Well, there's a lot of those, you know what I mean? That's true, yeah. The surnames of the main characters are subtle hints to their fates. Cole Seer, pronounced Seer, is able to see things ordinary people cannot. Malcolm's last name, Crow, suggests crows, a bird often associated with death. That's cool. So that kind of takes me back to Alfred Hitchcock, you know what I mean? Uh, the Disney exec who purchased the rights for $2.25 millions was fired. They wanted to know why he spent $2.25 millions on this movie. Wow. Yeah, fired. I was like, wow. Uh, Marissa Torme Marissa Tomei was almost Cole's mother in this movie. Do you know who that is? Uh, what was she in? I'm not really sure. I just know the okay. name. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I usually associate. Uh, there's a lot With of other actors, movies actresses. That you don't know. I'm like, wait, I think I know who that is, but I need to know other movies that are in. <laughs> it was only when a ghost got upset that the temperature got cold. If you remember in the movie, there was a scene. It was pretty early on where Cole is sitting there at the um, breakfast table, and his hands are on the table like this, and his mom uh, gets his cereal out or whatever, dumps it for him, and then she goes to do a load of laundry. You know, you fo- the camera follows her. Yeah. And when she comes back, all the all the uh, cabinets are open and Cole is still sitting there with his hands but I also noticed that in every open cabinet there is something red in there really right more, but, but, more the red. but when Cole she's like Cole who did this he's like I didn't do it you know what I mean yeah uh, but when he takes when he goes off to school he takes his hands off and the his handprints are there and they kind of slowly evaporate to you know what I mean like they were cold or yeah. whatever and then so it's interesting how they've squeezed little things that you um, actually hear about 
in, you know, paranormal investigations and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty cool nod to stuff. Osmond's father told the director to yell at his son when he couldn't cry on demand. It worked. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think it was the car scene at the end where, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, she's standing yeah. right outside my window. And he's like, are you okay, mom? Uh, Kyra actually threw up breakfast cereal milk when for the poison scene and made one of her friends run from the theater thinking she had just witnessed her death. Oh, geez. Because she didn't tell him she was in the movie. Yeah. Ozma remembers a scene. This would have been pretty interesting to keep in there where he looks out a, w- a hospital window and sees a bunch of former patients mutilated and disfigured. It was cut from the movie to protect its rating. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, that, I, that would be. I would have kind of liked to seen it though, but I don't think you can find it. I think I think if you threw it into like a director's cut, uh, and then maybe have a setting where like, hey, you can set it to the PG thirteen version or the barely. You know, but you know, sometimes you get those DVD releases or whatever where you go to the. Um, I, I know I always go back to Star Wars because it's one of my favorite. But you know, you have yeah. like the Jabba scene and the original Star Wars. He was in it or yep. whatever, but it's not touched up. It's just really rough. You know, what okay, I mean, you still yeah, got yeah. the the running timers at the top and all that. Yep. So it would have been seen if it was actually done decent. Sort of the uh, um, uh, extra scenes that didn't make it into a movie. I, f- I forgot the what they call it but uh yeah. you know i know i know what you're talking about yeah dvds usually have it you get this one this is this is very interesting bruce willis actually turned down the role of sam wheat in the movie ghost because he thought it would be detrimental to his character to play that's hilarious <laughs> and i think this turned out to be bruce willis's biggest payday yeah which it, we will talk about here in a little bit uh bruce willis is actually left-handed he learned to write and draw with his right hand so the audience wouldn't notice his wedding ring was missing during the movie. Okay. Because yeah. you remember at the end of the movie, she's watching, I think she's watching the video, and she opens her hand, and his yeah. wedding ring rolls off onto the floor, and he's and he like... goes to catch it? And no, no. It, I, yeah, something like that. Or hits yeah. the floor, you know, and rolls, and just spins or whatever. Yeah. The only one to interact with Malcolm is Cole. Even when uh, he is sitting with Malcolm's mom, nothing was said, but the, we, the audience, assumed that they must have been talking. Okay, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We we t- we touched on that one earlier. Uh, that's interesting. And finally, I found two wages for this movie. So here we go. Bruce Willis got a hundred and twenty million dollars. From what I read, fourteen million was up front, and he got seventeen percent of gross receipts. Ooh, wow! So yeah. I'll, I think he made out pretty good on that. You oh, know, what yeah. I mean? especially how it did so well internationally. I think he came out really on top. And I think they said that this was his highest grossing movie that I read. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was um, sure. Also, this be. was Haley Joel Osment's first movie. And he made a whopping $150,000. Still a lot for a kid. <laughs> or his parents. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. So, Terrence, give me your opinion on this movie. Your review. So, I really enjoyed this movie. I remember watching it for the first time and not catching any of those blatant <laughs> yet subtle hits, hints that uh, the big twist. And then once that big twist hits, I was just like, wow, that's... Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then you, you after you watch the movie, you just kind of sit there and think about it. And you're like, holy crap. And then you watch it the second time, which it's definitely worth watching twice. Yeah, because you pick up on so much more the second time around. Exactly. But yeah, that first the first time you watch it, I, I got to the end of the movie and I was like, oh, what? Wait, what? And then you started going back to my, well, what about, you start thinking about, well, didn't he do this? Didn't he do that? Yep. No, he didn't do any of that. You and know you start I mean? thinking about, like, didn't he interact with other people? And then you realize, 
No. No. The only one, even didn't. even when he was at the Cole School or whatever for his play with Excalibur or whatever, you know, yeah. walks in the back. And he's talking to him afterwards, you know what I mean? When he finally Yeah. It's like I read something where the play Excalibur, you know, where he pulls Excalibur out or whatever, it's finally that he defeated his problems or whatever, yeah. that he accepted that he could help these people. Yeah. And that was kind of basically saying that Malcolm had helped him, so now Malcolm can actually see his potential or whatever for yeah. helping his his things. So um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a must watch at least once, preferably twice. Just so you, unless you go and really study, and catch things, it. unless yeah. you listen to this podcast first, then you could probably do it with just one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, it's still really cool to catch all those little things because uh, you'll be looking for them the second time, right? And uh, I think it was really well done. Uh, M Night Shyamalan, la 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 la, whatever. You yeah, call M Night Shyamalan. I, the I one, mean, the one name I can pronounce. M, M Night. That's what I'll call it. <laughs> but uh, he really knocked it out of this park of the park with this one. I, he had me fooled, Absolutely. and I think it was yeah. perfect. And it was, like you were saying, it's it's a movie that uh, when you watch it, you're so engrossed in it that you know once it's finished, you're like, oh man, it went by like so fast. Right, and if you like this movie, have you ever seen The Others with Nicole Kidman? I think I've seen The Others. It is fantastic, too. If it's, not, I'll have to check it out. Check it out, it out yeah. because it's just almost exactly like this. It's really crazy what what that goes on. Gotcha. So, yeah, uh, for me, uh, as far as um, the movie goes on a scale from uh, don't watch it to must watch, I would definitely say it's a must watch, um, even though it's labeled horror. Uh even if you're not a huge, you know, horror movie watcher, it, like we were saying earlier, it's more of a psychological thriller, uh, drama movie. Um, there's really no. Uh, but there is a couple of jump scares. That's like true. When, when yeah. in Cole's tent, remember when he has to go to the bathroom or whatever? Yeah. And he runs down the hall with his flashlight, whatever. <laughs> then his batteries are going out or whatever. You know what I mean? And then when he finally hits it or whatever, and he comes back on, that girl's in there throwing up the cereal or yep. whatever. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he goes screaming, running out of there. Pretty much. Uh, but but nothing like sort of um, gory, I would say. Yeah. There, there's, uh, well, there's, there's the scene of the hanging people in the school because. Oh yeah, to, when, but when it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's all very light, uh, but you know, very watchable. Even because when I watched this, it was, was at a time where I wasn't huge into horror movies, and I actually didn't get super big into watching a bunch of horror movies until uh, I started uh, dating my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she she loves horror movies, and so uh, she introduced me to a lot of horror movies and stuff like that. So. Um, even that, that's why I say even if you're not a huge horror movie watcher this this is a, at least give it a try right yeah right. very very well done well the next time we record we are we are trying to plan a special Mother's Day episode and just you the forgot time. to give your scale well <laughs> I already said it's it's a great movie um this is a movie that when it comes on I like to just stop and see if I can pick up something new yeah you know what I mean just a little bit of did I not catch that before? Did I see this before? But once you start paying attention to that color red, that's a dead giveaway. Yeah. And, I mean, just all kinds of symbolism in there, you know what I mean? And I think Haley Joe Osment, for only being 9 to 11, maybe during the filming, I think he knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And I really think he deserves a lot more roles than what he's been given just from this movie alone. I mean, it was fantastic. Um, Bruce Willis... He has some movies I like, some movies I don't really care for. I really liked him in The Fifth Element. I love uh, that movie. That is one of my favorites. Um, it's one of the first DVDs I ever bought when I nice. got my first DVD player. That and Backdraft. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, 
on a scale of watch it, don't watch it, I'd say it's it's two thumbs up for me. You know, watch it once, watch it twice. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> two thumbs. Um, but yeah, it, it was really, really good, really well done. So, like I was saying before, I forgot to give my opinion. Um, <laughs> we we're trying to get a special Mother's Day episode. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it before Mother's Day. Uh, we're going to try. try. We're going to try um, because we've uh, Terrence has asked his mother what a movie she wanted us to cover. We're not going to tell you what it is right now. Yep, uh, it's going to we'll be just, a surprise. It'll be a reveal on the episode. And my mother, I didn't even ask her. I'm just going to surprise her because some of the movies I think she, that she knows. And also, I have been collecting so much stuff on the Wizard of Oz that it's unre- unreal. I mean, there's got to be a bonus <laughs> episode. It might just be the entire Wizard of Oz again because. I mean, part two. It, yeah, the ret- <laughs> I would say the Return to Oz, but I think that was the, actually the title of the movie. That was terrible. Um, but for our next episode, since this was episode six and episode seven is next, we thought we'd go ahead and continue on with our little thing. And this will be the original The Magnificent Seven. This has a star studded cast with Yul Brenner, Eli Wallach, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, James Colburn, just a ton of characters. And I haven't watched this movie in a long time. So I'm really excited to rewatch this movie and just see, you know, what I can dig up on it. Have and you ever seen it? I have. Um, I know you, a, I know you're going to bring up the Seven Samurai that yeah, is based the, on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge fan of the director Akira Kurosawa. So I, I've watched every iteration of that movie, including The Magnificent Seven, the old one, the new one. They're both really good. Right. So we don't want to go ahead and give any of that away because we got plenty of stuff to oh, dive yeah, no, into. Oh, yeah. We'll so. definitely dive into all that next ep- uh, episode seven. Yep. Seven already, man. And then if we get our special out of it, we're looking at nine. Yeah. Special and bonus. So um, we want to keep doing the movies justice. So we're not going to rush anything. Um, that last week episode about for the Goodnight Family. It was kind of a rush because I wanted to make sure I got it done and did it justice. Yeah. Uh, that's why you noticed that there was no disclaimer or intro music or anything or trailer. I just wanted to make sure I got it done in a timely manner. But as of today, before we started recording, I looked, and it's already our second most listened to episode of all time. Which is pretty awesome. Behind the first one, The Wizard of Oz. So, and it's still leading by like 30 listens. So, And then everybody which, who's been you know sticking around, once again, thank you so much for listening to us and continuing to listen and to also, us. And also, I did receive an a, a, a email from Samuel Farrell, I think is his name. Or Fer- yeah, Farrell. Yeah. And he said, wait, 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 what? He's like, how can you be five episodes in and not even do The Godfather yet? He's like, it's oh, the yeah. greatest movie of all time. <laughs> So, Samuel, I promise you, we'll get to it. Um, I think we're going to have, like, I think there's three listener picks that we're going to be doing between episode 10 and episode 20. So, hang on, buddy. We'll get to you. Right. (laughs) So, but uh, if you have any uh, movies you would like to see us do, my dad's giving me some. We got that list from Dwayne that's yep. fantastic a large list of a lot of good hits and it's by decades so if you if you want to send us a list by decade like 30s 20s 30s 40s 50s whatever um, yeah drop it drop it to the uh, email the tragedy of cinema it's all one word at gmail.com um, also I'm trying to get my dad to either write out his email of his story about the hush hush sweet charlotte that we're going to be doing okay, sometime yeah. soon it's pretty hilarious I was trying to get him to come on and help talk about it you know talk about it yeah. because he would be a kick a ride um, <laughs> also you can find us on Stitcher Spotify uh, Google Play and Apple iTunes, iTunes or Apple Podcast um, I know last week I was talking to Terrence and he's like I can't get my Google Play it's not showing up and I was like Terrence all these other people have it so I don't know <laughs> yeah. maybe you just need a new phone <laughs> uh, yeah I mean that's I yeah <laughs> <laughs> So, um, with that being, you got any final thoughts? Um, nope. 
Watch the movie if you haven't, even though you should have at this point. And make sure you watch Steve McQueen. <laughs> and, or the uh, watch watch the Magnificent Seven, the original. Yeah, it's uh, not the remake with Denzel Washington. It was all right. I'm not going to lie. But I need to watch the old one again to make sure, you know. Cause yeah. Because it, it's hard to beat an original. You know what I mean? We've discussed yeah. this before. The remakes are usually just terrible. So, um, and we're sorry for those of you that were fans of The Breakfast Club. We know that... I mean, we put our effort into getting the best information out there, but we just felt like it was a movie that people wanted us to cover, but we just didn't feel, I don't know the word I'm looking for. What's the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, I, like, I couldn't tell you. I do know Terrence that. Terrence was very uh, <laughs> mellow about it. Uh, <laughs> they, they, it's funny. There was, um, uh, they, they hadn't listened to the episode, but there's a lot of people I talked to about the podcast and trying to get them to listen to it. And, um, uh, I've bumped into discussions since then about the Breakfast Club, and uh, a lot of people disagree with my oh, yeah. opinion. <laughs> but that's okay. That's why we're doing this exactly. Podcast. No, for sure. If they want their own opinion, they can start their own podcast. Right exactly. Now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, with that being said, I believe that this is wrapping up episode six. So, I guess it's time to say and cut. cut.